0: podcast is brought to you by
1: Welcome to another edition of Watch This or Die. Podcast, your weekly fix for quality movie recommendations. I'm Scott Croucher.
2: And I'm Matt LaPlante.
1: And we will be your hosts on this cinematic voyage. Now it is our goal every week to recommend to you a movie that we not only fucking love, but one that we're pretty damn sure you will too. So over the next 100 minutes or so, we're going to do our very best to convince you to go and check out this movie like your life depends on it. Now, without further ado, the movie that we are recommending to you this week is... Sicario.
0: State Department is pulling an agent that specializes in responding to escalated cartel activity.
2: This is not my department. FBI!
0: You want to be a part of this?
2: We get an opportunity of the men responsible for today.
0: The men who are really responsible for today. And to what is before?
2: We're going to El Paso, right? You're not American. No. Then, what do you work for now?
1: Oh, I go where I'm sent. And we hope that this finds you doing well in the first week of the new year. Once again, we're recording this before the new year even happens, so we are being very, very optimistic that this is finding you well and that 2021 is hopefully a week in better than 2020 was at all. Mr. LaPlante, how are you and uh, how are you in the future do you think you're doing as we are in the new year when this is being heard by the ears of our listeners as opposed to coming out of our lips still in 2020?
2: Yeah, I'm doing good in the future here. Um, it's pretty crazy. I hope that the the uh, 2000 bug doesn't happen that we thought was going to happen now 20 years later. I
1: mean, by this point in 2021,
2: yeah, it. officially it certified the <laughs> election. The clock
1: back. <laughs> Who knows what's happened? I'm just hoping that uh, things are good. Hopefully you know we've moved forward and life is hopefully going to start be better, but no one knows. But hey, we're glad that you decided to join us again. And this week, we are extremely happy to recommend to you a phenomenal, phenomenal movie, Sicario, uh, that came out in 2015. I remember going to see this movie in the theaters and was blown away by how good it was. You know, sometimes you see trailers to movies when they're either uh, a crime movie, it doesn't matter really what to deal with, whether it's the drug trade or human trafficking or or if it's serial killers or gangster movies and that. But when you go into theaters and you sometimes don't know what you're going to get, like you're hoping that what you're going to get is going to live up to the expectations that the trailer is set for it. And I feel Sicario not only lived up to it, but far surpassed anything the trailer really kind of gave us as far as knowing what we were getting ourselves into and how much of a realistic look it is into the real war on drugs and also how futile the war on drugs truly is and how almost... Asinine! It can feel, you know, we're going to war when twenty percent, as they say in the movie, twenty percent of our population does drugs. When the easiest place to get drugs is south of us, you know, it's a hard thing to stop. You know, when we have such a demand for it in certain sections of this country, yet we're still going to war with it.
2: It's the never-ending war. No, it's a never-ending never war. Gonna, never gonna end. You know, no. so, there's got to be major policy changes. That it's it's like God, it's unraveling like a ball of string slowly. And that still ain't going to fix, you know, these these cartel wars because they'll find other things to that. Even if we decriminalize a ton of drugs, you know, and become New Amsterdam, it's not going to change. It'll always move on to another thing. You know, we've even seen it here, you know, to kind of divert a little bit with when states first became recreational. You know, when Colorado became a recreational state and people were able to go buy recreational marijuana, people still were buying marijuana illegally because it was cheaper because you're avoiding taxes and all sorts of stuff to cut corners. And, you know, so it is It's something that it's a long problem that's going to take a long time to solve and to Try to end this war Continuous war on drugs
1: I mean in all honesty The war on drugs is extremely stupid For a couple of reasons But one of the most important Is that a lot of the Pharmaceutical drugs that we get Are heavily reliant upon Certain drug compounds That are sold on the streets That are illegal But yet As long as Big Pharma gets them They're good to go mm -hmm. And I think what this movie does a great job of is it shows it from two perspectives. We get our FBI characters who are in the day-to-day war on the streets, and there's a line later in the movie where they talk about, have you, you know, we've had more drug prosecutions this past year in this area than we did the three previous whatever. And he's like, you know, did you notice anything on the streets that, you know, make it feel like we've made a dent? And they're kind of like, no. And then you look at how another section, the CIA and other members, how they're now trying to attack. attack the war on drugs and they're the ones who are really trying to make a real big dent because they're the ones going after the head of the serpent. just realize that even if you take out somebody... You, you pretty much make a vacuum for someone else to fill in the hole, and sometimes it could be worse than what you had before. So this movie really has a real deep look into the psyche of even trying to go to war with something that we are the number one, one of the number one consumers of the product we're trying to fight against. So it's yeah. a, it's it's a, a very hell of a ass,
2: movie. It's ass backwards. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's an intense movie. It's fantastic.
1: Let's put some cocaine on the table and snort this back and get this bad boy started. An idealistic FBI agent is enlisted by a government task force to aid in the escalating war against drugs at the border area between the U.S. and Mexico in Denny Villeneuve's action thriller, Sicario.
0: Every day across that border, people are killed with his blessing. To find them would be like discovering a vaccine. Nothing will make sense to your American ears. But in the end... You will understand. Spotter vehicle, left lane.
1: Spotter vehicle, 9
0: o'clock. your weapon out. I'm not a soldier. This is oh. not what I do. Why well, is what happens when they dig in? This is it.
1: Got to be careful on these people. The CIA is not supposed to work this side of the fence. Too. They will not survive here. As we said, this is directed by Denny Villeneuve. It came out in 2015. It's written by Taylor Sheridan. This is the second movie that we have covered by Mr. Taylor Sheridan. The first being Hell or High Water. He's a fantastic writer. He really is, great uh, crime does a great writer. job. Yeah, Yeah. so good. However, the sequel to this is not as good as the first. And it's, We're not going to get into the sequel, but it, it definitely is not as strong as this first. Oh, not at all. It stars the fantastic Emily Blunt, Mr. Benicio Del Toro. Josh Brolin, Victor Garner, John Barenthal, Daniel Kaluuya, and Jeffrey Donovan. This was made on a budget of 30 million and grossed 84.9. Now, unlike our last week's episode, which had really bad ratings, this one actually does decent. It got a C to almost C plus on IMDB with a 7.6. The Rotten Tomatoes critics gave it 92 and an 85 for audience score. So it was a very well-received movie.
2: Pretty, pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's a really excellent, excellent film. The cast in it is just fantastic. It really is. And, you know, it does start with a good cast. You have to have a good cast that gels well together to make a good movie. All the elements have to be working together. But I think if you go back and look at all the movies we've done, and this now being our 19th movie, if you look back at the other 18, I think the one common thread for them to be great movies, is the amazing cast that they've put together in them. I think that's a real key to making a great film and to actually make it watchable over and over again is you have to have a great cast. And then obviously the story's got to be good too, but if you don't have people to actually, you know, bring to life the words on the page, then you pretty much aren't going to have a really great movie. And we more than documented that on our Nicolas Cage podcast or the 26 movies we did of (laughs) his. I mean, he has a movie that is, is near and dear to us because how bad it is. But Deadfall had, uh, if you look at the cast at the time, had an amazing cast. It was such cast, a sh- yeah. shit movie. Shit such show. a shit movie. Holy Christ, was it a shit movie. Yep, it's the greatest, worst movie ever. And it'll probably, maybe, you know, down the road we'll do a whole month of just bad, bad, bad B movies. Yeah, Bad movies that are so bad they're good, you know? <laughs> like like The Room and stuff. Like, those oh, movies yeah, you're yeah. like, God, this is terrible. But that's what I think really helps push this movie along is how good the acting is in this film and how good the script is by Mr. Taylor Sheridan.
0: The top five reasons to watch this movie.
1: Our first reason that we believe you should watch this movie is number one, the opening house breach sequence. And this movie wastes zero time getting you into it. Zero time. It throws you into the uh, lion's den immediately. What ends up happening is we have Emily Blunt uh, leads this FBI task force, and what they actually are a part of is they're actually a part of the kidnap squad. Like they go through yeah. yeah. Which was interesting because they mentioned that in the movie, but then when they're talking later about do you notice the drugs off the street, it was weird that they seem to also have to do something with drugs, which that, that part was the only confusing part because obviously she was heavily entrenched in leading this team that, you know, tries to find people who have been kidnapped or missing, and yet. When she's talking to her head guy, played by Victor Garner, it's weird because he's mentioning like, "Have you felt, you know, the impact on the street for drugs?" So it's just a weird juxtaposition because was, I mean, obviously, outside of the kidnapping, you know, part of the hostage stuff that would go on, maybe with the cartels, not necessarily would they be in the drug trade all the time. A lot of it would be more of the human sex trade that they would probably be involved in. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it, it was just a weird. I wonder if the weird they, overlap.
2: I wonder if they were starting to notice a lot of kidnappings just tied to. Either small level drugs, like, you know, people holding people for ransom that owe money or people disappearing, you know, that are involved, you know, her tracking down, you know, kidnapped victims that are, you know, kidnapped because somebody else owes the money or either kidnapped because they were involved in the business and, you know, like tried to rob somebody and disappeared. Did you
1: notice in the overhead shot they do of, you know, when they're going into this neighborhood and like they show a lot of these neighborhoods in Arizona, like right up against whatever border fence they've got there against Mexico, who is the developer that thought we're going to make a development where the backyards of people's houses are going to be right against the fence of the border between the United States and Mexico?
2: You want to hit a baseball in Mexico? I got the right house for
1: you. Right. What is the property tax on that? Like uh, that can't be. It probably can't be that much. It's super discounted
2: property. They, all those houses look the same,
1: right? I'm, but like, I just looked at it. I was thinking, who the fuck would buy that house? Like, and who would develop it to put it that close? I would think that there'd be quite a stretch. And look, this is not like a a slight against Mexico. It just feels weird that knowing that you know, these are modern homes. This isn't like they were built in the fifties, where the drug trade really wasn't even prevalent. With you know there was no big you know deal between the Mexico and the American border having anything to do with drugs. It just feels like, why would you develop one that close? Like, that seems dangerous. It just seems dangerous for whether it's drug running or come across, or even people, you know, trying to sneak into the country. You know, that, that could cause problems on both sides people shooting other people. You know, it just seemed like a really poor design that you would put in your fucking homes in a development up against the border fence.
2: They got a real good deal on that land.
1: I want to see that HGTV show, you know. <laughs> try,
2: yeah, I want to see you, know, you try to sell this house against I'll the fucking border that, fence. Yeah. Oh man, you want a baseball field? You want, to, you want to make a baseball field in your backyard and hit a ball in Mexico? I got it for you. Here you go.
1: Jesus. So, <laughs> anyways, they drive into this very poorly developed uh, development. Now, I didn't know this was a tactic, but apparently it is a tactic that's good to go. But, you know, considering the way policing is in America lately, I'm not surprised. But the FBI drives this. Personnel transporter, bulletproof, basically made of almost tank material. Yeah, through the front fucking door, like into the house. And I thought, is that something they do? Like that seems like. That seems awfully dangerous.
2: Very serious breach. A
1: very serious breach. And since they're going in there not looking for drugs, they're going in there looking for hostages.
2: You could have just ran like four over.
1: Uh, right? Like, the, you don't know where they're even kept. Like, there's no spotter or intel that says, or maybe they did and they just didn't have it in the movie, but they backed this fucking truck right through the fucking front door. I mean, it knocks down half the front of the house. Yeah. And then they empty Poor out. Poor
2: fucker in there playing uh, Xbox when they bust through the door. <laughs> right? Fucking had Holy shit. Fans had a heart attack in the same in pocket time.
1: So they, they come through the wall, gangbusters, and they get out and, you know, they're pretty much subduing everybody and they're going now room to room. <laughs> poor, poor Mexican <laughs> We He should have had a Sean Off shotgun. Emily Blunt's character goes in and he fires a shotgun at her and misses her, putting a huge hole in the wall. And she lights him up like a fucking Christmas tree yes, and she drops does. him. And they don't find the people they're looking for. However, that hole in the wall... Creates an amazing, amazing end of this scene because they see like this bag in the back of the wall. So they start ripping apart this wall and they get it maybe about an eighth of it ripped open. Instantly, we all see that there are dead bodies inside whose heads have been wrapped in plastic, may have been shot prior to or while in the plastic, and they have just been hiding them. Instead of the insulation in the wall, they are the insulation in the wall. They're behind the sheetrock. And it is an amazing scene because then eventually they pull all the sheetrock down and we get to see it again. The special effects team that put that together, obviously they're not real people. They're not jamming real people, putting fake bags over their heads and putting them in there to stand there.
2: Everybody hold your breath.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) But the design that they had, it was great because inside, basically every spacing between the two-by-fours, there's a body in there. And at the time, they said they found there was like 15 in the hallway. I think the guy said there's like 20 in the back room. Yeah,
2: 34, I think, all together. They find... And that's without them doing the basement the crawl space uh, or the attic. It was
1: amazing. And the way they set up just this shot was so eerie. And it really drives home the point of, in America, we're very insulated to how some things go on in the real world, which is why sometimes we look very, very immature and petty when we freak out about things that, in reality, when you know, mirrored up against other things that are happening in the world, are not important at all. The fact that there are 35 Mexicans, dead, male and female, stuffed in a wall, all... In the same condition is fucking terrifying. That that is a you have no
2: reason why any of these people got here. We
1: have zero idea why they're there. They're all dead. They all have the same thing going for them. They're all in almost some forms of nudity, basically, and they all have bags with it. And they all look like there's dried blood inside the bags. So
2: they were going in fresh. Yeah.
1: No, I don't think they went in fresh. That's where they hit them. It's like they made these people disappear, and that's yeah, but that. Those
2: bags, I'm saying, went over their heads while they were still alive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then they just, and then they basically transport them, and that's the other thing, like, your mind can start to go, how did they get them into the United States? I want to believe that this is obviously through Taylor Sheridan's research that he found something that happened like this, and he, I'm hoping that his mind didn't just come up with this, because if, it, if he did, up in he just gave the cartels a really great idea of hiding bodies. Looks like snore. Huh? Yeah. How many total?
2: Got fifteen in this hall here, about twenty in the back bedroom. We haven't even checked the attic under the cross base. Call DOJ, let him know what we
0: have. It's one of the houses owned by Manuel Diaz.
2: No way to connect him, but he owns it.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: It's a very off-putting but yet amazing scene. It is. That then ends even more crazy because. The local PD are out in the shed looking for other stuff, and they cut the bolts off this, which looks like a, a false floor in a in your regular like yard tool shed that you like store like your lawnmower. Yeah, like a in. bomb
2: shelter, like almost.
1: And this thing fucking explodes and leaves a crater. And what I enjoy, I, I don't mean this in a giddy way. But what I enjoy about that scene is we have no context for why it was booby trapped we don't know if it was like if there was a tunnel that it like yeah, collapsed You can assume
2: that they collapsed the tunnel
1: that's that's all i can assume is that there's a tunnel collapse but they they don't make mention of it anymore they don't make mention of it from either perspective as we go further in the film it gets talked about for a little bit but there's no mention of why that explosion happened. It just, it just did, and it is a powerful opening scene. And right off the bat, you know you're not playing with, uh, you know, like your local crime people. Like I know we see how crime yeah. kind of goes in this country where there's, You know, drive-by shootings and this and that, and there's murders and all kinds of violence due to the drug trade, but not to this level. This is a whole other level. Yeah, these people are—they're
2: taking it to the end. That, that's not gonna. No matter what you do. Yeah, God. you can fight it, run from it as much as you want. You're—they're gonna catch up with you. And it's just so well shot. By Roger Deakins and scored by uh, Joan Johnson, who of course we talked about with Mandy. Yeah, he's fantastic. Who his yeah, R.I.P. He's so good in this, and he got an actual Oscar nomination. And uh, so did Roger for his, it was his fifteenth nomination. Out of all fifteen nominations he's had, he's only won two, being for Blade Runner twenty forty nine and then following through the next year with nineteen seventeen last year. But yeah, insane, insane. Um, his score is just so good denny villanova said that he wanted him to make it he compared it to wanting the sound of threat like jaws and man does he do it well oh my god yeah
1: i saw it i own it now yeah and it shows he uses like nothing but cellos and really low and you feel like you're always in dread the entire movie like something's gonna happen at any second
2: it's just yeah it's epic and just big bellowing. Like, yeah, it is, makes you very unsettled. The, the soundtrack to this and score is just, yeah, so unsettling.
1: And then you add it to the images of, I mean, it's the closest thing. It's, it's almost like an Aztec sacrificial ceremony kind of thing. I mean, yeah. it's
2: bizarre. It's like a crypt in a house.
1: Yeah. The only thing even close to this is kind of like, you know, when we think about our serial like Jeffrey Dahmer, where he's saving body parts. Like, that's the closest we can get to of what's going on, you know, in this house when, when we come upon it. And Emily Blunt and all the characters in it—they do a fantastic job. of it. They're not prepared for—they're all out in the yard throwing up, like they can't handle what they've seen because they've never seen anything like this. And yeah. it's a great way to kick off a film, especially when you realize that we're going to be talking about drug cartels—that you know they don't—they don't come out pussyfooting it at all. They come out and no. smack in the face
2: immediately. Not at all. And yeah, with uh, the comparison to yeah, like uh, to Dahmer or like uh, Gacy, you know, those guys when they went and raided their houses, they knew what they're going for. They thought they were coming here to save hostages, and quickly found out there is no hostages in there at all. There's just a whole shitload of dead bodies. <laughs> there were hostages or something <laughs> at one time. Yeah. at one time they sent departed.
1: Oof. Well, that's actually a kind of a, a nice way to lead into the second reason you should watch this film. Number two, and that is the border crossing shootout. Now, this incident parlays itself into suddenly getting national attention and gets the attention of Mr. Josh Brolin and his government task force, which is tasked with finding the heads of these organizations and taking them out, basically finding them and trying to restore order. Now, Josh Brolin has grabbed the services of Benicio Del Toro, who is a former Mexican prosecutor who lived in Juarez, whose family, as we learn in the movie, his wife had her head cut off, and his daughter was thrown into a, uh, a vat of acid. And for reasons that all we can really assume is because he was obviously tried probably prosecuting them. In the interim of the time of that happening, he has since learned special... <laughs> he, he's become uh, Liam Neeson and taken his special yeah. talents now and he actually is now working for the Colombian cartels and as we kind of talked about I think last week because we talked about the Colombians being taken out and how the Colombians used to be running things this movie is really more about this task work is really more about not so much putting an end to the drug trade because even they know that's impossible but putting a sort of form of balance and order back to it like it was when the actual Colombians were feared and were running it so they're actually trying to retake it over and actually bring back more of an organized uh, feel to as opposed to this just full-on chaos that has become the Mexican drug cartels. Yeah. And so Benicio's there to uh, help <laughs> help with that, uh, so to speak. They are going to go across the bridge and go into Juarez to pick up a gentleman who is the brother of, who's like basically the cartel's head in America over in Arizona. So basically what they're trying to do is they're basically trying to make enough noise that will get the attention of the people who run the show back in Mexico, who are basically off the grid and they can't find. So basically they're using this guy as basically a Trojan horse. You know, they're basically going to use him, go and find this other person. And so to do this, they have to cross over, and they're going to grab this guy who's in a Mexican prison and bring him to the United States and question him and get information... (laughs) <laughs> in the way that only the cia his, can do.
2: his reward is he gets to die in a u.s jail slowly as opposed yes. to getting yes. whacked off real quick in a mexican prison
1: hey you said whacked off i said it last week look at that We've hey, got hey a look a at that bring it back thing. around yeah you said it <laughs> two weeks ago <laughs> jesus so they go across and benicio's character keeps telling emily's character hey if anything's gonna happen it'll probably happen on the way back over the border After 9-11, there's no way of using any border crossings for filming of anything. So they had to rebuild this, and it's in the special editions. It's amazing what they did what's even more amazing is some of it there's blue screen in it so like some of the stuff you're watching you i remember watching the special effects i'm like holy shit like they really did an amazing job of adding this stuff in because it feels like they're going across the border like you're like how long did it take for them to shut that's this insane. down you know Just
2: building a full scale replica of the border crossing that's nuts to do
1: well the scene paint you know the scene designers the, the painters out there having to paint the tar to make it look old and there's skid marks on it to make it look been used like amazing
2: i'm gonna take it back to that too yeah, yeah with that do, to really think, like how much work they had to go in, and realizing that oh, that over how non-practical it would be to just shut down road closures on the border for that long period of time, and what that could jeopardize.
1: Well, not only is it impractical, it's also not a ability. There's no, no ability to do no, it. No, they, yeah, they just you after nine eleven, you can't. You can't do it. It's yeah. not happening. Yep. I mean, it would be dangerous as shit anyways.
2: Yeah, yeah, it would.
1: I felt danger for the people filming it when they were driving (laughs) by on the American side. You know, like...
2: For them flying through, yeah.
1: And so they actually used Mexico City's, outskirts of Mexico City, instead of Juarez. Because even, you know, when they were talking about, like, you cannot... Juarez is just too dangerous. You cannot film anything in there because of all of the drug cartel violence that goes on in that city. Which is right next to El Paso. Like, it's so close to America. It's... Pretty shocking.
2: It's literally a border border state.
1: So they grab this, this scumbag, and they're bringing him back across, and there's a car that breaks down, and it causes a bit of a slowdown for everyone. And, of course, I mean, we, we knew you had to know it was going to probably happen, but two cars full of uh, cartel guys are there. This just shows the either the complete balls or stupidity of the drug cartel as the first vehicle they notice is... Definitely, drug cartels coming up is one of the guys sitting in the front seat. If you if you had to pick a guy out of a lineup and say, yeah. what do you think a Mexican drug cartel <laughs> uh, looks like? gun for high looks like? It's this fucking guy. You know what I mean? He's got the face tattoos. Like he looks suspicious to me. You see him? You're like, yeah, he's definitely cartel. You know what I mean? Like like the second car you see, not as suspicious, except the one guy you could see the gun. They did a great job of. Really yeah, it so like good. we said, the last movie with uh, Killing Them Softly, the ineptness of some of these people, how stupid some people are who just join gangs, like they're just there to go and die if necessary. You know, they really are just pawns. And yet they don't realize that they think they're cool, but they're very, very much expendable. You know, they're easily replaceable and they don't cost a lot of money. And they, these guys think that, you know, they're getting all kinds of validation or people think they're cool because they're a part of this gang. But in the end, they don't realize that they're just just a means to an end.
2: They are gladly trade their life. They're in their lives to try to if they survive that they're gonna be you know glorified and be able to make steps up higher into this uh, into the organization but if they don't survive it it doesn't it doesn't make a difference a dime a dozen if <laughs> a dime for three dozen practically <laughs> God knows how many more than that but it is oh, so good just on, on both sides of it like you get the the coolness of this team everybody built together especially the one that I really love the most outside of Benicio's handling of it. Uh, which they're two very polar opposite handlings of it is Jeffrey Donovan as Steve, him handling (laughs) the situation (laughs) he's so good because he's comical during it uh, when they first start, you know, when they have when they notice that before they even hit the border, that they have a, a lone wolf uh, cop car following them. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting hard because he is. He's getting and you know that the, these the, the Delta Force guys are just ready. This is what they are born to do. They are like they're no joke. You, you may have some you might you have a semi-automatic, you know, Mac 10 or something like this. These guys got fully automatic weapons. They are going yeah. to unload on you. They were born to do this, and yeah, oh, it's so good. And Benicio is just what, how cool and collected he is. He barely talks throughout almost the whole movie. I don't know if you know this, but ninety percent of his lines were cut it's from Taylor's script by Denny and uh, Del Toro making that decision together, um, because originally, you know, he was supposed to tell explain a lot more of his background to Kate several times throughout it. But, you know, immediately they started discussing it and he was like, well, who would actually like if this person was real, who would start talking about themselves 15 minutes into meeting somebody? Um, And I'm glad they did it because it just adds so much more to his character and the depth of him.
1: Oh, yeah. And he was saying that, you know, uh, one thing he really liked about uh, Del Toro is he is able to portray a lot of the emotion and say more with his facial uh, expressions than, yeah, you know, even than words can do. Yeah, exactly.
0: Spotter vehicle, left lane, left lane. Spotter vehicle, nine o'clock. Getting a boner. Is that one horse? Watch the right, watch the right. No, that's a lone wolf.
2: I love when right at the start of the build up to the shootout, you know, when they find out the rules of engagement and like they, you know, you can't get out unless they get out which that's hilarious because the second they open the door, these boys, they are, like you he said, he's rock hard. <laughs> they open that door, they're out of the car. <laughs> like they are four steps ahead of these cartel guys here. But I love it when Benicio hops out of the car and he just, all he says to her casually, oh no, it's even before that. He says, to her, when he tell, before he tells her to roll her window down, um, because he's about ready pretty much if he has to put a bullet through the window straight behind her into the car and he tells her to roll her window down and before that he says get your service weapon out um, but he says it so coolly and then again when he steps out of the car he just tells her to get out of the car and she doesn't listen get your service weapon out
0: red impala two lanes over on my 10. copy that red impala two lanes left Roger that.
2: The window
0: down. Gun. Gun. Gun left. What are the rules here? We must be engaged to engage. Permission to get out of the vehicle and set a perimeter. Stay in your vehicle. You can do what they do. Can they get out?
1: There are people who are trained and have been in situations where weapons are needed to be used. Where even when he gets out, he's saying in peace, like he's trying,
2: he's trying not having to let this go. He doesn't get out um.
1: squirrely, and then you see those guys get out, and they're all squirrely and nervous, and this may be their first time of any action that they're getting to see. This may be how they, you know, earn their stripes and earn their keep. First off, they get out, (laughs) standing there, weapons not even really drawn, and they have the force and might of the Delta Force, which is sweeping on them, and they're already ready and trained. Like, it was, you know, it's tactical, tactical. These guys are just, it can barely get out of the car, you know? I mean, they've got handguns, it's like, they're so outnumbered, and yet, the thing what you can see in their faces is they're nervous and they know they're going to die. The cartel guys know that they have no choice. It's either they die on this bridge trying to complete yeah. their objective or they die when they get back over.
2: And That's failed. it. Yep.
1: Without us giving too much away, they get fucking lit up and obliterated. Yeah. Obliterated quickly. Yeah, <laughs> they, like you they said, they Jeffrey Donovan in that green car, that he second car, he car takes three himself. of them out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he just. Doo-doo-doo.
2: Yeah, just unload. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's so <laughs> great when yeah, when Benicio goes to the other car and is like, yeah, he says, in peace, in peace. Yep. Um, and then he even asks him, he's like, you, do you want to die? Move. Wait, wait, wait. Get out of the car. Jesus Christ.
1: Kubotent! It's a The juice bottle. Don't move! Kubotent! No, oh, no, 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 no compás, compás. Suelta la pistola. tírela. Pregunta, paisanos. ¿Quieren morir?
2: What the fuck are we doing?
0: be on the front page of every newspaper in America. No, it
2: won't. They won't even make the
1: papers in El Paso. They didn't get a shot off. They never got no. a shot off. No, they're
2: not going to. No, they, no. <laughs> there's not a chance in hell.
1: Which is why anyone who still believes that if the you know if they stockpile enough weapons and the government wants to come take them, they're gonna somehow defend themselves. Nope. Yeah, this is a real example. This is a yeah. real example. You can go up, back shoot as many whiskey bottles and deer as you want, but until you're in an actual firefight and been trained like these guys, you have no chance. So just yeah. you know, put that under your cap, feel better about it. But yeah, it's an amazing, amazing quick scene. Full attention, great shot. One and when you look at how they designed the whole fucking thing, it's really amazing that they went and built the whole fucking Insane. thing. And they're, and they're filming this on the desert and they're talking about the heat was, imp- uh, you know, just oppressive. But they wanted, they they felt that it actually added as a character, you know, made you feel like you were kind of in hell. Yeah.
2: They're all sweating and like in the, in the clo- enclosed car, they're still sweating, you know, under their uh, vests and everything. You can see Emily's got sweat built up on her the whole time.
1: She's also got fear too because. Oh
2: yeah, she's nervous. She has no clue what's she- going on, what's going to happen or why she's even here. They haven't told her anything.
1: Well, the contrast when they go into Juarez and then they have that great little shot of four bodies mostly mutilated hanging off the bridge as a Warning sign from the cartel. Two of the bodies are missing a head, missing. Like, it's so discomforting to see that scene. You're like, holy crap. It reminded me of that scene in The Rover we talked about where they're driving down that stretch where all of yeah, the, with the power crucifix, lines look like, yeah, crucifixes. look like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same visual. Same visual of like, fuck, it just really fucks with you. And you, it really yeah. drives home without having to say too much. Don't fuck with the cartels. Like,
2: and even then with Jeffrey just making joking remarks about how he's like, oh, you got to admire him. Yeah.
1: yeah, because he says, you know, you, he's basically saying these people may have just been killed and mutilated for no other reason than for people to be afraid, thinking afraid that yeah, they did something wrong when they may not yeah. have done anything.
2: Exactly. It's insane.
1: It's so good. So good. Uh, but that will lead us to our third reason you should watch this movie. Number three. And that is a one-night stand gone pretty bad. (laughs) A one-night stand that does not go well at all. As the movie moves along, the unfortunate thing for Emily and even Daniel is they are used to this very by-the-book way of policing in the FBI. They are, you know, we stake out our objective, we collect evidence, we do what we have to do, and then we prosecute and we put people away. That is how they're used to doing it very much by the book. You know, there is no crossing lines. This is how they run their operation. They are kind of, especially Emily, she's completely flabbergasted by how the CIA and the operations are running, how they're pretty much allowed to do whatever they want. And she even brings it up with her superior. And he tells her, look, I do not have the power to put together this task force. This task force comes from people far away from here who were elected to this position. And he's like, so if you're worried that you're working within the boundaries of uh, the law, he goes, you are. The boundaries have been moved. Extreme situations require extreme conditions. And that's exactly exactly what happens. They're having a tough time swallowing it, especially Daniel. She, on the other hand, I think is at some point, What kind of like impressed... and intrigued that they're able to to. kind of walk a different line to get things done on a different level because, you know, maybe her on the Kidnap Task Force, it's not seen as a huge priority in certain halls of power where this drug fight can be, and maybe not always for the fight of drugs, but more for the control of how things work. Because if you get in line with the Medellin cartel, and they're able to take claim over everything and, and bring a sense of order, then obviously they're are people to make money off of that on this side, money trading for weapons and all kinds of things that are just, you know, documented throughout our history is in this government. We do a lot of shady things for our own benefit. Many times that can really play big in the halls of power. I mean, for instance, after 9-11, you know, we passed the Patriot Act, and terrorism was such a big thing for so for so long that they were willing to basically throw away the Constitution to be able to do what they wanted during the Patriot Act to terrorists, and this has that same kind of feel, you know what I mean? Like, all it requires is for them to label the drug cartel terrorists, and now they fall under the purview of the Patriot Act, and now they can do a whole lot of, a lot of things. And they really do stretch stretch their wings um okay. in this movie to do so.
2: Yeah, they do. Without giving any any of that wing stretching away that happens that is absolutely yeah. intense without showing uh-huh. anything really.
1: And so through some some talks with this guy and a scene that we won't talk about, but where Benicio de Toyo really doesn't say a whole lot, but we get the we get the real sense that uh, he is that ghost, <laughs> the ghost that got away. That does—he's the boogeyman yep, for some of these cartel the bo- people.
2: Yeah, they—if they, they see him walk into <laughs> our room, they know things are bad because they know exactly what has been done to his family, and they don't know—they didn't assume that he's alive or assume that maybe he ran off scared just uh, after seeing. But oh, yep. Let's just say if he walks into a room with a, a jug of water from uh, like your. Uh, your uh, your workplace's uh, break room, it's not going to be good.
1: Yeah, and if you're uh, going to be interrogated by someone in the CAA and they offer you water, you may want to pass on that first.
2: <laughs> <You're> filling <laughs> your belly up for a
1: reason.
2: <laughs> so great with, yeah, with so Jeffrey is. feeding them water so yeah. politely.
1: <laughs> so after Emily and Daniel, you know, have this little powwow with their boss, it's the one moment in the film where I felt, those those times I was like Emily and him were like babies. You know, I was like I almost wanted to go grow up, all right? Like I almost felt like sometimes their characters were almost a little too boy scouty. Does that make sense? You know, they're almost like two, we yeah, do everything yeah, by the book. Both lawyers. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, we're going to do, all, everything's got to be this way. And they they don't understand that it's not black and white in the world they're stepped into. There's a lot of gray. It's some good, some bad. Like, there's, you know, it's just, it's not just an easy, you know, we can say, well, this is good and this is bad. There's a lot of things at, at play that even it's above their pay grade and may not even be right. But it's not this, you know, by the book thing. And what ended up happening is they go into this bank to help seize some money. Josh Brolin's character told her, do not go in the bank. And there was a reason why. He didn't want them to be on camera because he knew that people probably could be watching it because they're g- going after uh, the head of the maybe Southwest operation for this drug cartel's money and they're going to shut him down. And that's yeah, it's a big thing. I think that what they seized like $17 million, whatever it was, <laughs> it's no chump change. So they decide to blow off steam and they go to this bar. I forget the name of it, but she was like, This what hick bar have you taken me to? It's like it is a big time Redneck bar. Oh, I'm a cowboy. So John Barenthal's character is there. And. He comes in, you know. He's he's very he's very much like his character was on The Walking Dead a little bit, you know that he the the little drawl, he very charismatic, you know, flirting with her. And you know, the the night goes along well. They're they're dancing this and that, and they go back to her place. And in a scene earlier in the day, you know, her partner was like, "You gotta get a better bra." Like she's just she was divorced and she's just kind of given up. Like he was like, "Do you just one t-shirt a week?" Like she's pretty much has buried herself into her work. And doesn't have any kids and is in a divorce, and obviously that didn't go well. So she's basically married to her job, and she doesn't, you know, really care about appearance and if anyone, you know, she's going to be with anybody. So, but John Berenthal catches her eye, and she catches his, and things happen. They go back to his place, or to her, I'm sorry, back to her place, and things are going well on the couch. And, um, you know, they're going to be a little grinding going on before the clothes come off. So, John Berenthal. The gentleman that he is. (laughs) Fucking
2: gentleman. He's always a sleazeball. I'm
1: I'm setting the people up for this. (laughs) He takes the stuff out of his pockets, like his wallet and his keys and all this other stuff, and he throws it on her coffee table. Now, one of the things that lands on the coffee table is this wrist bracelet. You know, like, you know, they really became popular from Lance. Lance Armstrong. Yeah. It's this colored one, and we saw it about five, ten minutes earlier wrapped around the money that is being transferred by the drug cartel. So it's obviously, obviously the, the two are related.
2: Yeah, they, they gave him money. They paid him to do something. Yep.
1: And as Emily, you know, is getting in, in, into it, she kind of looks over and sees it, and that instantly spooks her. And he notices something's going on and what's going on, and she acts away, and then he looks and notices it on the fucking table and realizes that he's fucked up. And he's trying to calm her down and have her talk to him. And he's basically going to try to weasel his way out of this thing because he knows that the jig is up. She's she's on to whatever he's doing. And she's trying to make her way over to her counter and grab her gun. And she eventually does. And they, they get into this real big tussle. And they're wrestling
2: gunshot goes off. She fires on. off around, trying to get him. Yeah,
1: and gets knocked out of his hand. And he's beaten. I mean, at first, he's trying to get her to calm down because she's really struggling. And then once he gets her to the ground, he almost is like, you know what? So angry, yeah, he's angry, and and he knows she knows. He's like, like, "Fuck it!"
2: You try to shoot me. He's yelling that at her.
1: Not just that, I think he knows that she knows.
2: Yeah, and he's he's like, "Yeah, he's like, fuck." The only way out of
1: this is I got to, I got to kill her. So he starts to, he's choking her, and a great scene. Emily does a great job of one looking like she's being choked, and John does a great job of being the piece of shit that he is in this movie. Yeah, being the gentleman that he is, choking her, and then all of a sudden, from her perspective. Out of focus, we see Mr. Benicio Lutero step in and put the gun to his head. Sweet, woman, wait a
0: second. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. You're too much. Sweet woman. I just need a second. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry.
1: <sighs> hey, Kate. Hey. hey, 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 come here. Come here. Stop, 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 stop. Talk to me. Just talk to me,
0: okay? Relax. Oh shit. Okay. What is it? Oh, what? What? Stop. Stop. Show what the fuck What the What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? fuck? What Stop! What the fuck? Oh, Stop! bitch! Stop! Fuck you! Oh, fucking stop! Stop! Fuck! The- this is you, you hear me? You did this.
1: You did this. <laughs> For those of you who are like man. You don't like men who uh, hurt women. Well, guess what? You get <laughs> a little a little payoff <laughs> about two seconds later when he's in the back of the SUV, driven by Josh Brolin and Benicio Toro, and they are going Benicio is going to work on it. When we yeah. when we join this this little committee meeting, he's already beaten him pretty much to a pulp already. Bear yeah. is is worked over pretty good. Well, they
2: even they even allude to the fact that they made sure he was beaten up prior to coming out of the house so that they couldn't tell the difference if they question him even further and beat him up outside in the car. More, Josh Brown is so giddy him. when he has he to is. say
1: that too. He goes, you know uh, the great thing about you being beaten to a pulp is no one's going to notice if you got a few more scratches on you Yeah. and the things that he's doing to him fucking are fuck. almost like what an older brother does to like a younger brother or a bully does. Like he's got this bad cut above his eye and uh, he squeezes that. And then he does like a wet willy without the wetness and yeah, he jams he's his finger in his ear. Like he's to trying like
2: to push to- it. Because his eardrum, oh, oh it's brutal. Oh. oh,
1: At first you're like, is he giving a wet willy? But then you kind of really realize, you're like, man, that is a no. fucking brutal fucking that thing he, to do he's to just somebody.
2: Shoving, he's literally about to break his eardrum, pushing it so hard into his own head. Like, yeah, he's definitely not going to hear very well out of that ear anymore <laughs> uh, at all. And, yeah, oh, when he just holds him. Fucking holds him by mm. the 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 cut above his eye, and then literally uses the force of the hole just to push his head back in the car, and then even wipes his blood back onto him. Oh, it's so <sighs> good. Don't it, fuck with Benicio.
1: Oh, uh, well, don't fuck with Josh Brolin. Here,
2: yeah, cause, cause he'll find somebody to do anything for him.
1: He doesn't even turn around to look at him. He's looking at him through the fucking rearview mirror, mirror <laughs> yeah. and he's telling like it's up to me. If you up. go to like oh, a, a, work, a work camp prison in Missouri or some like fucking death squad one in another place, it's up to him if his wife's address gets put out on the internet and something about his kids. It's like, yeah. it's fucking crazy how much power he really did wield and how John Barenthal suddenly realizes that, you know what, tonight I'm going to prison. But if I don't give up some of these people, I'm in some serious fucking shit.
2: Yeah, yeah, because it's your choice. Again, you're going to a work camp or you're going to go to one where, first of all, you're a cop. You're a dirty cop. You're not living long there because you have the cartels after you for talking. And you also have everybody exactly. cops after you. So you are done. The second you have a chance out, you're in, the, in general pop. If you even get put in there, you're done. Someone's going to get to you. It's like Whitey Bulger. Took years, but they got yeah. to him eventually
1: It's reminiscent of what we talked about in Killing Them Softly Where, like, Brad Pitt was trying to explain Like, regardless, the, the visual is he has to die Whether he talks or not The cartel's taken him Like, he's not gonna live long Like, he's in prison This is you know, over yeah. the,
2: the jig is up You don't want me to talk to you And keep fucking
0: hitting me How many other corrupt motherfuckers Are you working with on this side of the border? She's exactly what I told you, all right? They just. They came to me and they wanted details about her case. And yes, I, I, I did it. I gave it to them, but I never wanted anybody to get hurt. And I would have never got involved in pieces of shit if I thought that they were there was that. Ah, fuck! Okay! Okay! Fuck, okay! okay, okay, okay. It's not what we're looking for, Ted. You know what the beauty is of you being so beat to a pulp? because no one's going to notice a few more scratches. There's a new deal, Ted. I'm the one who decides whether your daughter get federal protection or whether we post your ex-wife's address on the internet. I decide whether you go to prison in a work camp in Missouri or a kill house like Corcoran. This is where you negotiate how to survive, my friend. <sighs> okay. Look, I, f- I, f- I feel like this whole things he's gotten away from me. I just want... I fucked up. Okay, I fucked up, but I'm in over my fucking head right now. I'm sorry if I... Ah! Fuck, get it out! Get it the fuck out! do you have working on the force? I'll tell you, I'll tell you everything you want to know, you just gotta promise me that my, that my daughters that they're gonna be safe, okay? You make me that promises. You want the truth? Please.
1: Give me all the names of all the motherfuckers <laughs> they got working on the force.
0: Okay, okay. All right. Okay. Which phone do we start with? It's the, it's the one. That's the one. Yes,
1: sir. Ironically enough, <laughs> or oddly enough, that is gonna lead us to the fourth reason we believe you should watch this movie. Number four. And that is one of the finest sequences put on film for something like this, uh, the Tunnel Amazing. Crossing sequence. And the camera work that they do in this amazing sequence—it's something out like of a video game. It really is.
2: Starting right with, uh, with the opening silhouette shot that you know. Uh, Mr. Uh, Roger Deakins is famous for doing great silhouette shots where it just silhouettes all of them in the in the desert at night going to the tunnel.
1: So the the shot is set up where it's right at the end of twilight. Like it's basically the last ditch of sunlight is at the edge of the earth right there in Arizona. So there's some sky, there's some orange and then everything else below is pitch black and each of the soldiers or I should say Delta Force members who are on this raid and we're going to go into this tunnel walking across the desert in full silhouette but as they walk they're also on a decline so they kind of walk and then slowly disappear below the horizon line and just disappear into blackness and it's an amazing fucking shot it is such a good
2: shot so good and then it goes into night vision
1: and they go in pure dark so they go into night vision and then they go into this new infrared camera which is something right out of like a predator movie, or right out of a video yeah, game. Yeah, from the,
2: like either the drone or the helicopter that they have running above them. So good, and it's amazing that they actually just shot it with thermal vision cameras instead of they didn't do any of that in post production. Oh, I love it because it, it's, it, it's insane. Works it's so beautifully. Good. It does. It's absolutely gorgeously shot.
1: Oh. And it's done with the music, and there's zero talking going on, no, very oh. little noise. And so they're sneaking into this tunnel entrance that leads from Arizona back over to Mexico. And the reason being is is they're basically going to insert Benicio de Toro on the other side of the border while causing a distraction because he is now going to follow the guy that got called back to Mexico. And this whole tunnel sequence is amazing. It starts off very quiet. I mean, it's a, it's a video game. It really was like a video game. They send the first guy in there with just his knife, and he takes out the first two guards and before they go loud. And then it's just this chaos of gunfire, but done in a way where we don't even see what's happening.
2: Oh, you can't tell who's shooting who.
1: No, there's like three different ways to go in the tunnel. You know, just nothing but chaos is happening.
2: Yeah, lone wolf Vinicio just off yeah. on his own, like just rogue. It's nuts. The the power that he has, it really makes you wonder, like, if God, if there was a prequel, I'd almost have been more interested than that than the sequel to find out. Agreed.
1: What, see how he got to what where he time,
2: is? Yeah, what he did in between that timeline, because it's fascinating. Because you just know he's been working with, you know, Medellin, uh, Colombia cartels, and, you know, probably working. I kind of get some hint that before he was a prosecutor, you know, in his younger days, he may have been an actual Mexican soldier and had experience then. Or even maybe worked for the police before, you know, finishing law and going for a full, like, being a prosecutor. He definitely had some background in, in, in guns and And military tactics prior to being a lawyer.
1: Well, he also probably realized that after the events that lead to the death of his wife and child, that the only way he's going to get any kind of vengeance or retribution is he has to go outside of Mexico. No one in Mexico is going to help him out. There's just the legal system is not going to do a goddamn thing. And, you know, what's he going to go work for a rival cartel? Nothing's going to happen for him because he was prosecuting him. So the only place that he could go to that might have power. It could be the America, but you know uh, his big power play is to go to the Colombians and try to be that person who is the boogeyman that scares the cartels in Mexico, that he will be coming for them, and that the Colombians are now in charge. Because basically Mexico doesn't, you know, Mexico still gets its product from Colombia, you know, or Ecuador or anywhere else in South America. Mexico does not grow its own cocaine. It has to sell it through the people who make it. So where they have kind of seized power, and, you know, the Medellin cartels and the cartels over there are, are not as powerful as they once were, they're trying to change that power dynamic and the man to help him with that is Benicio de Toro. He's the guy, he's the sicario who is going to help level the playing field that you don't want to see him. You know, as big and bad as these cartels think they are, he will find a way to get to you. And he uses the power of the United States. And in Josh Brozos, you know, he'll go for anyone who will set him free, you know, who will help him get to where he needs to go. And this is where he wants to go is yeah. on this one. The sequence is amazingly set up from the first part of it where it's very quiet, it gets dark, we use nothing but tactical vision, everything is very, very stealth and quiet and we get in. And then once we kind of get out of the darkness into the light of the tunnel, All of a sudden, it gets very loud and very chaotic. It's a a great contrast between the two things that are happening in that same scene. One moment, you know, where it's super quiet. It says, you know, it's like we're going to sneak up on Bin Laden and take him. And then the next minute, it's like you shoot at the OK Corral. Just Guns are just uh, free. I love it. He's like, what's the rules of engagement? He goes, guns free. So it's that just means, hey, shoot whatever you see. Yeah,
2: exactly. And, oh, man, it's so crazy. Did you uh, see that? that she accidentally hits her head when she hits her head coming into the top of the tunnel, that that was an accident and Denny left it in the film because it added to the realness uh, to the mission. The
1: shot right before it, you see the the black gentleman who's a part of Delta Force take off his helmet and set it down and then keep going further in the tunnel. And mm-hmm. the reason being is they those night vision goggles, it's, it kind of gives you a little extra height and you're catching it on those small beams that are yeah, keeping the thing corridor. up. So the fact that they went from that shot to her doing it and then taking it off it really was great. It worked perfectly, even because so it, it feels like it was intentional. You know, it doesn't feel like it was an accident because, yes. I mean, it almost goes to show like, you know, the reason that they're taking their helmets off is not because they're, you know, willy-nilly. Let's be honest. Those helmets aren't doing a whole lot as it is, depending, you know, when they're at close range. And it just, it's more cumbersome. You're going to pin your head, maybe even causing yourself to get shot because, you know, you get caught in one of those and you're not able to react as quick. So it was a, you know, even, it's probably one of those happy accidents that happen. You know, it's one of those moments yeah, that just worked out perfectly. Yeah, oh, yeah. Now, this scene ends with Mr. DeToro getting up through to the other side where a police officer is dropping off. Uh, from mexico is dropping off drugs and he's going to use this police officer to get him the next step up it's 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 very has a very um video game feel to it you know you got to get from this now to the next level
2: point a b c d yeah yeah well
1: emily decides to (laughs) follow behind him and then here's the thing they're on the other side so they're in mexico and he's taken this cop he's got him hostage and she's like you know tells him to freeze or whatever and she's not in any jurisdiction she's she's in mexico her FBI yeah. has zero jurisdiction there. And so she pulls a gun at him and he he shoots her, but in the vest. From the hip, too. He's like, catch your breath. Told her, don't you ever point a gun at me again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Freeze! step away from him put that down i mean it move away from him right now <laughs> don't ever point a weapon at me again <laughs> catch your breath I'll get back right there
1: and off he goes into the night with this uh, with this police officer and then of course she goes back to the side and another great little moment there is she's all pissed off. And she comes out, she comes out and punches Josh Brolin in the face. And a little little tussle ensues, and Daniel tries to get involved, and one of the one of the Delta Force guys just slams him to the ground puts him and goes, Just let it happen <laughs> I love that movie. he's yeah. Daniel's on his back, guys putting a gun at him, goes, Just let it happen. And meanwhile, Josh Brolin has pretty much subdued her up against uh, a wall of the you know, like a desert wall there, and tells her to calm down, is explaining everything to her
0: stop it just relax just relax all right you gonna stay there or are you gonna stay there all right you listen you went up the wrong tunnel You saw things you shouldn't have seen. What is Medellin? Medellin? Medellin refers to a time when one group controlled every aspect of the drug trade, providing a measure of order that we could control. And until somebody finds a way to convince 20% of the population to stop snorting and smoking that shit, order's the best we can hope for. what you saw up there was Alejandro working toward returning that order.
2: Alejandro works for the fucking Colombian cartel. He
0: works for the composition. Alejandro works for anyone who will point him toward the people who made him. Us. Them. Anyone who will turn him loose so he can get the person that cut off his wife's head and threw his daughter into a vat of
1: acid. Yeah. what we're dealing with. Even then, she just can't get it. Like Benicio told her before the crossing, your American brain will not be able to comprehend what you hear. And she just can't. Like She still is in this textbook. This person kidnaps. We're going to get all the evidence. We're going to arrest him. We're going to charge him. We're going to take him to court. Where this isn't what happens with these big guys. Have you ever been over there? I worked in the waters.
2: For the DEA? No. For who?
0: From Mexico. I was a prosecutor.
2: You're not American? No. Who do you work for now?
0: Oh, I go where I'm sent.
2: Where were you sent from? Cartagena. Colombia.
0: Listen nothing will make sense to your american ears and you will doubt everything that we do But in the end you will understand
1: even her boss told her you know we've made more drug arrests in the past year than we have in the last three have you felt any of that on the street you know it's yeah. like she's not getting it that like what they're doing I mean, she even made a comment to Daniel the first time like, when we asked about it. Like, What they're doing is basically cleaning up a mess. They're not really doing anything. They're not making any real headway. They're just, like we said, they're, those people that she arrests are just replaceable. They're replaceable pawns that are people just lining up waiting to, to fill their spots. It's that moment where even Josh Brolin is kind of like, look, bitch, <laughs> I'm trying to explain to you how this works. Why can't you figure this out? Like, we're actually doing good. You may not like the way we have to do it. But at the end of the day, we're playing by their rules now. There aren't any rules in this. You know, Your FBI rules don't work. Get real results. This is how we have to do it. We have to actually take the fight to them if we want to try to change anything. And we find out in the movie, they're not trying, like they know that taking taking this guy down isn't going to suddenly stop drugs. They're trying to basically put back in power a time when at least there was some kind of order to it. And he even says that. He goes, 20% of this population, until 20% of this population stops doing drugs, we're never going to win this war. We just got to try to add an order to it where it's not as chaotic and violent as it is now.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, they just, that's all. They just want to restore the order and they know the right way that they have to do this. is the only way they can do this. That's not happening legally. That's not happening through doing these uh, little, like, raids inside the U.S. They need to shake the tree.
1: And shake the fucking tree they do. And that's a perfect segue to the fifth and final reason we believe you should watch this movie.
2: Number five.
1: Now, I will say that I'm going to give you a five-second countdown because it does give away some stuff at the end. It is a bit of a spoiler. So you have five, four, three, two, one. (laughs)
0: Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler
1: Alright, so if you're still here, then you are willing to find out how this movie kind of ends. However, if you don't want to know, we suggest you stop right now, go back, watch this movie, and then come and listen to how we talk about it so you have a good idea of our feelings on how this movie kind of culminates. And that is our fifth and final reason is the infiltration of Fausto's house. So this Fausto guy is the head of this cartel over in Mexico, one of the many cartels. He is also, from what we learn, responsible for the death of both the wife and daughter of Benicio Del Toro's character.
2: Yeah, he's the the real responsible. Yeah, he
1: didn't, yeah, he didn't pull the trigger, but he had it happen. They don't ever really give us context as to why they had his wife and daughter killed, except the fact that I believe because he was a prosecutor in Juarez, who was probably prosecuting drug cases. That's why the hit was put out on them. Now, when he crosses over, he takes this uh, cop hostage, and the cop now is driving with the help of an aerial drone run by the United States government. Once again, those of you who still are under the delusion that if you the government comes to take your weapons that you're going to do something about it. I will introduce you to the drone that they show in this movie and how it's able to find things, and you don't even know it's there. So just take that under consideration before you lose your entire mind to put on tinfoil hat. So this drone is following their intended target who has left Arizona and is making his way back. They catch up to him and another tense scene, man, when they, they pull him over. God damn is Benito Toro's character quick to the to the draw. Like this dude drops people quick. They pull him over, the cop gets out, No one sees Benicio except for the cop knows he's there. This other guy is doing what all, all freaking, it seems like uh, people in power do in movies that, do you know who I am speech? (laughs) You know, like.
2: Yeah, yeah. Is that a thing?
1: Does Something. it work in the real world? Because nah. in movies, it no one's ever Never works out. like one of the first times I can remember seeing it was like in The Usual Suspects when they uh, stop them in New York City. you know when they're robbing the cops, when they bring that guy who has the diamonds over New York's finest taxi service, and they rob him. And the guy's like, do "You know who the fuck I am, do you know who the fuck I am." And they rip his badge off. And he's like, "We do now, asshole." You know, it's like, does that work? Yeah. Does anybody ever go, "Wait a minute, no, who are you?" Oh, all right, all right. Well, you know what? That changes everything.
2: I'm sorry. See you later. Like they're just gonna leave. Like <laughs> even right? like. Even, even like last week when we were talking uh, about you know them knocking over the card game, do you know whose card? Obviously they fucking know whose card game that is. They wouldn't just be knocking over like a, a couple of like friends hanging out in the basement playing cards for twenty dollars a piece all night long. Even knocking this isn't over Pete's uh, 40th uh, birthday yeah, blackjack extravaganza. Uh, yeah, exactly. They they're knocking <laughs> over a mob game because there's thousands of dollars here. I wish someone would
1: write a line and say, "Yeah, we know who the fuck game this is. Why are you so fucking stupid?" You know, like, that's why it's happening to you, because you're fucking stupid.
2: What have been a good thing for him to do at that point would have been just hit him with the gun and not even say anything. And there.
1: Well, he says it to him when he's like, you know, I'm a jefe and to the cop. And then all of a sudden he gets shot in the leg by Benicio. And then Benicio, like, dude, he's got quick, he's got quick reflexes. Shoots the guy in the leg and then quickly shoots the cop in the back, then dropping him. And then he gets the jefe, as he calls himself, back in the car.
0: ¿Qué quieres? te muevas, cabroncito. ¿Sabes quién soy? ¡Yo soy un jefe. Acuéstate. Acuéstate. Sí, te conozco. Eres un maldiazo. Mi cara de vinagre. Ahorita me vas a ayudar a conocer a tu jefe. Levántate. Levántate. Si intentas cualquier cosa tus hijas morirán violadas por 20 mamarrachos. A la vuelta. A la vuelta.
1: This reminded me of like playing the game Hitman when he rolls up he rolls you rolls know. Through. Oh, so, so cool. Good.
2: So tactical.
1: So as they get closer to the house, my thought is, how'd the first guard not see Benicio in the back seat? Just laziness. Yeah, it has to be because he lights him up. I mean, they're
2: too relaxed. You know, they've never probably really had a threat. And there's so many of them there that they feel yeah. so much power. Yeah. They haven't had uh, this lone wolf come no, wandering no. into these sheep.
1: no. And he drops these mo- this motherfucker, basically this pawn that he's using to get into this this estate. He says, you know, what are you going to do with me? He goes, well, you're going to drive slow, and I'm going to get out. And they then cut from that, and the car slowly makes the turn and then suddenly stops. And you're like, what the fuck? And the guards who are there, the three guards go over to check what's going on. And he had stabbed the dude in the fucking neck. He can't talk. He's bleeding out. These three guys go up to the car, and all of a sudden Benicio kind of walks around like a tree and Just drops him. Bang, bang, bang. They go down fast.
2: Yeah. He's just using that one silenced handgun. That's it.
1: Yeah. And then he infiltrates the house, and he gets himself, and there's Mr. Fausto in his backyard eating on some really nice veranda near a pool, having dinner with his two kids and his wife. And he shows up and sits down, and the family is scared shitless. Obviously, Fausto's not scared because, you know, you don't get to be the head of a drug cartel by showing fear, you know, you, you. Yeah, and he even says it and I love that, you know, he decides to go into English, but he also kind of slips back into Spanish a couple of times. And I think the wife knows English, but and I think, yeah, I think it's the first time she kind of really comes to grips in the moments that she's in this scene with what the level of life she has and what it's required and what her husband does to obtain it and how a vicious of a person he really is. Is when he says, you know, every night you have families murdered or kidnapped, you know, and her face in that is kind of like it's like a, you know, it's like she got hit with cold water, you know, she's like, oh shit, you know, here they are, their life is couldn't be better for them, life is so good for them. She doesn't work a day in her life. She has everything she ever possibly could want. They're there. You know, people are serving them. They didn't make this dare to themselves. It kind of really hits home. And I got to get the kids who are playing this role credit too, because they were really, really believable. You know, like they really looked like they were fucking scared shitless. They were
2: terrified. Yeah. uh, It just does. It adds to the weight of it. And you can tell um, that she gets even more unsettled by the way that they switch over to English. Because I feel like, He does realize that they don't know English as well. So he doesn't want them to fully know what's about to happen. Because again, he is not afraid because of the person that he is. And he does think that, you know, he is still playing by this, you know, set of rules that he has, like these imaginary rules that he's not going to cross the line. You know, he thinks, yeah, obviously he's going to die right now. He's accepted that. But he doesn't want, you know, his wife and kids to see him get killed. You know, he doesn't want them to see him get killed, (laughs) and he doesn't want them to die. But he doesn't realize quickly that eh, Benicio is not favoring him. He's, you know, an eye for an eye.
1: I don't know that he went there with the thought of an eye for an eye to start with. I think it was the way that Fausto kind of talked about the death of his wife, and especially the death of his daughter. Almost like it was just something that had to happen, and it wasn't personal. And when he kind of treats it and even says it in that context, I think that's when it flips for Benicio. And he's like, it was personal for me. And it was in that moment that, you know, even this big drug lord who's like still still talking tough, like he, you know, he's not talking shit, oh, so but he still is having this conversation where he's just kind of almost like, yeah, you know what? Yep, we threw your daughter in acid, not personal. Like throwing someone in acid is personal. I don't care if, you know, I don't care what personal, it is. It? That's, that's well thought out, you know. Shooting somebody because they, you know, whatever, that seems less personal. But when you go through the trouble of getting a vat of acid, like you're some kind of mad scientist in a weird situation, Sci-fi movie, or her in Bond <laughs> her in, villain, or in, in some of the great uh, in the great episode, the uh, vat of acid episode that they had on on Rick oh, and, and Morty. Yeah, so good. You know, it's like okay, so you've got a vat and you threw someone in it like a child. Like that's that's cold blood. That's that's a whole nother set of evil. And still boss. be talking tough to this guy who's who, right now, you're in no position of talking shit. If you've kind of come to the conclusion that you're dying and you're hoping that your family gets away unscathed and that, you know, you only pay for your crimes and they don't, you probably shouldn't talk shit. Yeah. No, you really, it just really seems like shouldn't. you shouldn't talk shit.
2: And it's delivered so perfectly by Benicio knowing he's taken the upper hand back from him to shake him to where he's never been before. He's never felt fear. Is when he simply says, just not again, not in front of my family. And in three quick shots, he drops his two sons and his wife wife. all at once. And his face Mm -hmm. changes. Like it's never, he's never had that emotional reaction in his life.
1: Mm -mm. And
2: he's just like, okay, well, yeah, they're not going to see you die because you just watched them die.
1: Benicio says right before, he says, prepare to meet God. And he, I think, thinks he's thinking that it's, he's going to shoot him in front of his kids anyways and he, I mean, he throws even when I saw the movie the first time, I did not expect him to shoot the two kids and the wife. Not yeah. at all. You know, I just expected he was going to shoot the father right there and then have some speech about don't be like your father or something like that, but yeah. no.
2: Nope. <laughs> he, he, he ends the ends. bloodline yeah, he, right ends, there. That, that house is going up for sale.
1: I think that house is his now. I don't know. You know, I mean, he feels like he, he claimed it. Do you think the
0: people that sent you here you know, or any different? Who do you think we learned it from? The grieving lawyer. Your wife. You think she'd be proud of what you've become? Don't forget about my daughter. ¿No fue personal? Para mí, sí. No, ¿Eh? no me puedo
1: a really intense scene and it's a really well played scene and it is a shocking scene it amplifies quickly but what it does is it does what the opening did it shows you the world that is the drug trade especially in mexico central and south america even though as americans if you indulge in any kind of hard drugs You're a part of that. You've got some blood on your hands, whether you know it or not. What it takes to bring you what you like to put in your nose or in your body, there's a big toll that is paid upon lots and lots of people. There's a
2: lot of taxes getting taken on other people.
1: You should move to a small town
2: where the rule of law still exists.
0: You will not survive here. You're not a wolf. And this is the land of wolves now. It's time to make some lists
1: as we now head into our eight no our 19th episode holy cow man this going is fast. crazy i can't believe going it's been 19 now can't believe it. it's it's insane we are going to do this week for our movie genre top five list our top five favorite drug trade slash drug cartel films now this parlays into a lot of possibilities there's a lot of movie possibilities that can be put in here so Uh, Matt will kick it off as it's an odd week. Matt's an odd person. He will start this list. I will close this list out. And then we'll move on to our actor list. Matt, take it away.
2: So I'm going to start mine off with my number five being the Robert Rodriguez, absolutely, ridiculously fun drug cartel film, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. It is the sequel to, well, it's the, the finale of the trilogy of El Mariachi. Uh, but it's great. I love it. It's a blast. It is what it is. It's not as serious as as Desperado serious, no. is or as El Mariachi is. But I love it for what it is. I accept it for what it is. Oh, it's great. Johnny Depp's fantastic in it as this.
1: Uh, <laughs> He's got yeah. to kill the chef to keep things in balance because he made the best <laughs> pork sandwich. <laughs> yes. he said. Oh,
2: my God. It's so good. It, it's ridiculously fun. It goes back to that, you know, to where... Robert get started coming to where he started to get more playful uh, with his films, you know, kind of with, um, I would say with um, From Dusk Till Dawn, you know, he started to get more comedic and then, of course, really nailed it in once he did Planet Terror and just kind of, you know, being more campy, bringing it back to like the old, you know, 80s, just over like gore fest, just super dramatic action. Um, it's great. I absolutely love it. But that will bring me to my number four being another movie with Johnny Depp being the true story of George Jung uh, below, which is a fantastic movie about George Jung working his ways up from being a pot dealer to all the way being connected up to Pablo Escobar in the American cocaine market during the 70s. And it is fantastic. I absolutely love that movie. His portrayal of George Jung is insane. Uh, it's really great. Underrated performance.
1: Paul Rubens, Mr. Pee Wee Herman, is fantastic in it.
2: So good in that. He's so great in it. The guy that plays Pablo Escobar is fantastic in his very short cameo that he makes in there. Um, just how unsettling it is when he says to remove to him, telling him to take his sunglasses off. Oh, fuck. Pablo Escobar tells you to take your sunglasses off when you're talking to him. You better fucking take those sunglasses off really quick. Let alone because <laughs> it is such a great scene with the two of them together when you see him just walk up. That shake that guy's hand, walk, turn around, and walk away, and he gets shot directly in the head. Is that's how you're being introduced to him? Fantastic. But my number three is a film that we've talked about before, being City of God. Fantastic film again about excellent movie. Uh, two kids, a photographer, and another one that goes on to being involved in the gangs uh, in Rio de Janeiro. Um, it is a fantastic, classic movie. There's Really, nothing more I can say about it. I'm sure we're going to hit it one day on this podcast. It is phenomenal. That will bring me to my number two film, being another absolute classic Scarface with Mr. Al Pacino.
1: Mr. Al Pacino, say hello it's, to my friend. It's a classic. Friend.
2: You can't talk cartel films without having Scarface come up. It is amazing. It is just like a, it's just an epic film. Uh, you know, the first time you watch it, there's scenes in there still that are disturbing, even as, as cheesy, you know, as it is, you know, some of the violence, of course, the blood has gotten not, it <laughs> doesn't translate as well as, you know, some uh, death scenes with involving blood in this film and in other films, we've talked about how realistic they look going back and watching this, Blood's a little bright back then, but there's a great chainsaw scene involving uh, his brother in that and it's still unsettling to watch that shit.
1: Yeah, the chainsaw scenes. I mean, it's just a great movie, a great job by Al Pacino. And it is a classic. I mean, it is really a classic. Classic gangster movie, classic, whatever you want. I mean, it is up there. You know, it falls in with the Goodfellas and the Godfathers. It's one of those movies that people know.
2: absolutely. And then my number one being the Steven Soderbergh film, Traffic. This is an amazing cartel, drug cartel film. Um, It goes all over the place. You know, it shows the war on drugs from every different angle. From two DEA agents to a teenage daughter of the president. Of- oh my that is, God, that yeah, is brutal. That, that's a yeah, brutal that's, scene. To a crack addict um, to a jailed drug baron's wife attempting to carry on the family business. It is just insane how epic this film is. And it's extremely underrated. It was pretty praised when it came out, but it still did not get enough praise. Steven Soderbergh is fantastic. And this is an absolutely fantastic movie that really drills in and shows just how much this area touches and how much the war on drug touches.
1: And I love how he does different colors yeah. for each different section. And Benito the that Turtles, in that film as well. Yeah, so good in that. All right. Well, then I'll take the uh, the baton, and I will now give you my top five favorite drug trade films. My number five is Mr. Al Pacino in Scarface. Brian De Palma movie written by Oliver Stone. It is a remake, believe it or not, of a movie, Scarface. Scarface 1930s or 1940s film. It was actually about uh, Mr. Al Capone. Uh, So they actually kind of changed it. It still has the similar vibe to it. Where Al Capone's rise into the crime days of of the days when we were dry in America in Chicago, but this is basically the retelling of it through the eyes of a Cuban immigrant who gets into the drug trade in Miami, Florida. And Al Pacino's fantastic in it. The whole movie is fantastic. It's a brutal movie. It's a bit dated sometimes when you look at it, but it at least feels reminiscent of the time that it's supposed to be in in the '80s Miami. So I, sh- I should say go see it. But if you haven't seen it, then I, you know I don't know. It's one of those movies I feel like everyone has seen. I just feel like, you know, you say the name, like, yeah, I've seen Scarface. My number four, you also mentioned, is mine is City of God. Once again, we've mentioned this a lot of times. A great look at the drug trade in Brazil through the eyes of two people. Uh, one who's trying to be a photographer. The other one who's trying to get into the drug trade. It is a beautiful movie. We've talked about it. It feels like a documentary. You feel like you're, you know, got trapped in some kind of weird Netflix documentary that's almost too real. You almost feel like you're, you know, you're actually living these moments out with the characters. And it'll definitely make this podcast at some time in the near future or later future, if there is a future.
2: <laughs> that was so good. That didn't do it yeah. The optimism quickly <laughs> went away. Yeah. It was like You, you forgot I mean, still year it still we're right. recording
1: this. Well we're still in 2020 I mean I'm hoping That people are even Hearing this in 2021 Who knows uh, With the squirrely fuck That's still in office Who fucking knows If you guys are ever Going to hear this podcast um, My number three Is your number one It's Traffic It is a beautifully uh, Done film by Steven Soderberg Amazing performances From Michael Douglas From his I can't Were they married at the time Yes I, I, can't, I don't know if yeah. you and like Catherine Zeta Were married at the time recently. But his wife Is phenomenal And obviously Benicio is great in it There's just a lot of Great performances. The scene where you're talking about with his daughter
2: and oh my God, yeah. her
1: selling, using her. It's oh my God. Disturbing. It is and just, so yeah, disturbing. It gets, oh. yeah. So well done. So it well He was done. like a
2: big like TV actress at the time. So it was a complete divergent for her to be taking on that role. Like, oh oh yes, my God. It yes. was great. Movie. I
1: mean, it led her to go to Swim Fan Skidding. <laughs> That's Classic. what she wanted after that. But no, Traffic is one of those modern day classics that came out in the 2000s, early 2000s. I'm saying I think it was like 2000. My number two is a movie that might surprise you, um, but it stars Mr. James Bond. It is Layer Cake. Great movie. That's out of England. Oh, fantastic movie. The drug dealer in this, played by Daniel Craig, he is into selling MDMA over there in Europe, especially out of uh, England. And it's just got a great premise. It really shows you what it's like to be a part of the drug trade, especially over there. And Michael Gambion does a great job of explaining the what the layer cake is and 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 how you get into it. It's got a great soundtrack. It's got a couple of twists and turns in there that you don't see coming. It was a fantastic movie. And, what I loved about it is this was, came out before he became James Bond. He was rumored to possibly be the James Bond. And there's a scene in the movie where he's trying to decide what handgun he wants from a, a guy he's getting a gun from. And the guy has a James Bond like gun. And it's just a great little nod that, you know, like a year or two later, he would end up being James Bond. It so, have, yeah, it kind of a thought. nice little tongue in cheek moment. Now my number one is a Shakespearean type movie. My wife even likes this movie, and she doesn't usually like a lot of the movies I like because they're either too violent and it kind of makes her a little anxious. But one of my it's one of my favorites, and it's Brooklyn's finest. Great movie. The story of drugs in the inner city of New York City, told through three cops' eyes, one being Don Cheadle, who plays an undercover cop within the new york uh, police department in brooklyn who has embedded himself in with uh, mr wesley snipes who plays a head of the drug uh, trade-up in that area who just got out of prison and who they formed a friendship because he saved his life in prison uh, it also has mr ethan Hawke, who is on a drug task force who is a bit dirty and uh He's trying to help his family who live in this mold infested house and his wife is pregnant and he just doesn't make a lot of money. So he's actually looking to have a big score and steal some drug money. And it also has Richard Gere, who is a cop about to retire, who gets mixed up in it as well. It's told three stories told from three different views and they're amazing. Like they really are an amazing, amazing movie and you would love it. And those are my top five favorite drug trade slash drug gang I guess movies now our actor this week is going to be a little surprise but it is going to be our five favorite Benicio del Toro movies and Benicio del Toro has quite an eclectic career and it's been in a ton of movies and this was like kind of like we did our Brad Pitt last week it's been a little tough to figure out which ones uh, should go in here so my fifth favorite movie and it is with Johnny Depp it is Fear and Loathing in
2: awesome. Las Vegas. Great movie. Fantastic.
1: It is a fucking crazy movie. It could have been in this because of the drugs. That... Dr.
2: Gonzo is so gonzo.
1: It is a bizarre, all over the place fucking movie. The crazy thing is it's a true story. However, told in the so vein insane. of people you know who are on drugs, so it's got a very you know loose interpretation of what's going on in the events. Sometimes you don't know if what's happening is actually happening or if it's part of this drug trip they're on. The the outfits that they wear, especially Johnny Depp, you're just like it's, it's fucking insane. Hunter S. Thompson was fucking insane and yet I feel like he lived one of those most amazing lives ever because he just basically did whatever the fuck he wanted to do Seriously. And, and the movie is just crazy it's, it's a trip It's like you—if if you don't do drugs it feels like you're on drugs when you're watching the movie it's just bizarre and it's all over the place
2: how do you survive that long with all those drugs in the system it's amazing I don't know I don't know
1: but uh, Benicio plays a great Dr. Gonzo. You have to see the movie. It really is good. The two of them together, him and Johnny Depp together, they're yeah, fantastic they, so on screen together. Together. they have a really great rapport. Now, my number four is uh, a movie by Mr. Robert Rodriguez. Uh, Mr. Benicio Toyo plays Jack Rafferty, a dirty cop in Sin City. You won't even recognize yeah. him. He's got like a prosthetic nose on. Like he's got long hair. He looks like he's in some kind of it band. Does. It looks like he was in like some kind of 1980s metal hair metal yeah. band. <laughs> it's so crazy. But he plays this basically dirty cop. He's a hero cop who's really a dirty cop. And I mean, the whole movie is fantastic. I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago. But Niso De Toro is virtually unrecognizable he has like that kind of transformation that we talked about with Joseph Gordon-Levitt when he was in Looper and he had the prosthetic like he really does disappear behind the prosthetic and the character if you didn't see the name in the headlines of the movie you wouldn't even know it was him you know, if like you just suddenly popped on his section that's on and you watch it, you'd be like, Who, what actor's playing this part? And it's funny because if you look at the rest of the cast, a lot of them you go, oh, yeah, Bruce Willis is in that. And "Oh, that's Clive Owen and Mickey Rourke and all that stuff. And you forget that Benicio de Toro is in the fucking film.
2: You really do. Yeah, like I I remembered because I was looking it up today and then it was funny because I seen the poster and I was like, Jesus Christ, the prosthetic on him is insane.
1: And the long hair. Like you don't. You it looks like he's Nikki yeah, Six or something from Molly Cruz. Them. Like he just disappeared
2: Face job. Ironically, he's also in the film. Um,
1: well, the thing is, is like you know, it's the funny thing is yeah, you know it's because you, know you, know, like, you know he played Marv. But Benicio, like, he guy? was in that film? Now, my number three is a movie that was also my number three in the first list, and that is Traffic, where Benicio plays a Mexican cop who is actually on the up and up and not on the slide, which is, you know, rare. His scenes are really good. Uh, he really brings us into what it's like to be in the drug trade and how hard it really is to police it in Mexico. He even mentions it, funny enough, in the movie Sicario about how you got to be careful about the local federales. That even they're on, that they could easily be on the take, even though one minute they're on, you think they're on their side, you can't trust them. And he has a very similar situation for himself. And it's a, you know, he's one of those few. Cops who aren't I don't want to say They're all on the take But who don't seem To be on the take Are easily bribed In Mexico And he's just Really good in that I mean it's great To see him actually Be able to be Comfortable in a role He seems fit for You know I feel like his character Is the brother Of the guy in Sicario You know he's the brother Who was like "Ah, I'm just going to be In the I'm going to be on law enforcement And his brother Decided to go Into prosecuting And chose the wrong path Even though It really is a, a Lifestyle in Mexico Where being a cop And being a prosecutor Especially given what the main, basically, export of that country is, is very dangerous. You know, like, you really are putting yourself in a very, very risky position being a cop in Mexico and going up against these drug cartels. But he's fantastic in it as well as the entire cast, and we've yeah, already kind of talked about it. So but i don't need to go further. Now, my next two are going to be movies written by the same man, one directed by his first directing, and the first one is my number two is Way of the Gun. Amazing. This movie's definitely making this podcast, it. and it is such an underrated, amazing movie. Maybe Ryan Felipe's best definitely. movie. He should, he should just have not ended his career, career after, after that.
2: Because yeah, it's <laughs> all downhill for him after this. It went uphill. It kept going up and up and up for Benicio. <laughs> Ryan, not so much. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs>
1: Mm-mm. It is an amazing cat and mouse game of, I don't even want to try to begin to give it away. It is fantastic. There are some great scenes. I think we alluded to it in one of our podcasts. I can't remember if it was this one or if it was Nicolas Cage, but the the little uh, cat and mouse car <laughs> sequence where they get in and yeah, out so of the vehicle when, uh, and it's going slow. and
2: Yeah, when they're going down, because uh, uh, well, uh, there's another movie that we did talk about where it's a similar scene. But yeah, fantastic. slow Slow car chase. So great. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's so good. And then the gunplay in it and everything about it. And Benicio punching Sarah Silverman in the Got face. the opening scene. Beginning yeah, of the movie. fantastic. <laughs> so good. I highly suggest you see Way of the Gun. It's stellar. And Chris McQuarrie wrote it and directed it. It's phenomenal. But my number one is one of my favorite movies of all time. Actually, my favorite movie of all time. Written by Chris McQuarrie, directed by Brian Singer, and Benicio Toro's breakout performance in the movie The Usual Suspects. He is phenomenal in this movie. His twitches, his speech pattern, his way he uh, is able to interact with Stephen Baldwin and the way they are together as a team. And it's a phenomenal movie, first off. But Benicio is, oh, his mannerisms. There's a scene where he gets arrested and he's on the corner in like a weird tuxedo. And it's the way he walks and tries to avoid the cops coming to get, he is pitch perfect in this movie. This is the movie that launches Benicio de Toro. Benicio de Toro, it was a nobody until the usual suspects. And he is so fucking good in the usual suspects that it launched his career. And then he ended up like a couple years later doing Way of the Gun with the same guy who wrote it and just continued his trajectory to where he is now. But the usual suspects, beside it being in a phenomenal, brilliant movie, Benicio del Toro is one of the highlights in the movie because at the time he was a nobody. And he is like a gem that suddenly rose to the top very, very quickly. So, those are my top five favorite Benicio Toro movies. I will now allow Matt to close out our 19th episode.
2: Yeah, so we actually have three that line up. Uh, but that starts off with my number five being him as Mr. Longbow in The Way of the Gun. It is a fantastic movie. I absolutely love it. I love how right in the beginning, they're not even. that's not even their real names. They never really give their real names. I'll just refer <laughs> no, to him don't. as Mr. Longbow. And I forgot what Ryan, uh, Ryan Felipe calls uh, himself in it. But it's so good. One of my favorite scenes in it with Benicio is him in the store and he's like so obviously stealing. Like he's picking up like the Twinkies with one hand and looking (laughs) at them and putting the others in the other looking
1: the the other way. And then he
2: like goes over (laughs) and he's like flirting with the cash register and he has the tape of, of the ultrasound and He puts it in the VHS there, which they use for like recording, like people stealing, ironically. (laughs) Puts it in the VHS player there, lights two cigarettes at the same time, hands her one of them, starts watching it, closes, covers one eye, and turns his head sideways to watch the ultrasound. And it is fantastic. (laughs) It is so good. But that'll bring me to my number four. Being snatched with him being Frankie fucking four fingers. Yeah, that was a tough. Uh, one to he's so too. good as Frankie Four Fingers. He is just like, and Frankie stay out of stay out of those casinos. And then the little montages that it does are ama- <laughs> yeah, Viva <laughs> amazing, <Las> Vegas, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, in uh, that, oh man, so good. And then I love when the, the one guy calls him. He's like, oh, he's like do you know what? did you hear anything about a fight? And he's like, oh, a fight. And he's like getting sized up for a suit, he's in his underwear and he's got a cigar. He
1: has to keep changing every yeah. five seconds. Yeah, so,
2: uh, great, great movie. And he is uh, one of the very, I would say him and Brad Pitt are the big standout um, just like characters in this film that are just really great. But that will bring me to another film that lines up with you is Fear and Loathing Las Vegas is him as Dr. Gonzo. He is Fantastic, and as Dr. Gonzo, I love it when he's like, "Ah, as your lawyer, I recommend you buy like these drugs and it's, and get a fast car with no top." Greatest lawyer of all time.
1: They're just they're just so brilliant in that way. They are. play off each so other so out of their well, goddamn it's, minds. It's
2: fantastic. Um, but that will bring me to another Steven Soderbergh film, uh, being the two part film, which I just consider one film is Shea, with him playing Ernesto Shea Rivera, um, and it is an epic. Um, fantastic movie about Che Guevara and the Castro-led Cubans' exile and mobilizing an army against uh, the Batista army uh, dictator fantastic, epic film about Che Guevara.
1: It's one of those movies that I don't think people even are really familiar with, or even though that Steven Soderbergh yeah, is the one who directed it's it.
2: it's all, mostly all in Spanish. And yeah, again, Steven Soderbergh is fantastic. Thank God he hasn't stopped directing films. I know he's talked a ton about stopping before, and thankfully he keeps making movies, because we, we need him.
1: I don't understand that, like with him and yeah. Clinton. Like, I, like, this is what you were born to do. They just like, want to call I, it a day earlier. Like they don't want to burn out. I guess you're not a yeah. football player, you know, like there's not the physical beating down. I don't I don't know. Maybe, I, don't know. I, guess, I guess I guess you You're have not going
2: like, to go out you know, yeah. fat. And, 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 uh, but yeah, like it. it's such a it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. But then my number one is the same as your number one with him and the usual suspects. He is absolutely fantastic in it. Uh, that wasn't my first time I got to see him. My first time I ever really seen him, I believe, was actually Way of the Gun. And then my second time being Usual Suspects. And then oh, okay. Fear and Loathing was the way that my chronological order of experiencing. Alicia yeah. Del turtle Katana bounced around there. But he is a fantastic actor. And again, he is amazing in Usual Suspects. Back then in, in what, 95? Yeah,
1: 1995. It's yep,
2: crazy. He's just yep. still to this day. He is just amazing, and there is so many. Oh movies yeah, that he's had. Oh, gotcha. Even like his cameos in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel, yeah. Even his cameo in the in the Last Jedi. Fantastic.
1: Unfortunately, his his role in Last Jedi was kind of almost yeah. a wasted one. You know, like we never got to see him again. It was just I was excited yep. that he was going Same to be here. in it. You know, it's one and of those just, things it, that
2: you wish yeah. they had more. They used more time for him.
1: Well, that's that's the that's the big problem with Last Jedi. Unfortunately, it's you know there are great moments and then there are bad mm. moments. You know, like it's one or the other. You know, like you can look at it and go, Oh my God, here's like the five amazing things, and then you go, Here's the five things that you're like, What the fuck is yeah. this about? So watch this or die. So that will do it for this week's installment. Once again, we would both like to thank you for hanging out with us and letting us gush all over you about this movie. Now we do hope that you will enjoy it as much as we have, so please let us know what you thought of this movie by reaching out to us on our social media platforms. Now we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watch This or Die. Also, feel free to DM us your thoughts of this week's film. You can always give us your own top five lists, tell us what you did or didn't like about the show, and even suggest some movies for us to watch. Now, we hope you will join us again next week for our next movie recommendation. And as always, I'm Scott Crosher. I'm Matt LaPlante. And until next time, watch this or die.